This is Conway, receiving clerk for the Dead Letter Office of Ohio, processing the National Dead Mail Backlog. The following audio recording will serve as an internal memo. Omens always come in threes. The dead rat on the porch should have been number one with the bullet. The line went dead. I had no idea what he meant and it sounded like he wasn't too sure either. Hello, I'm Ren, claims adjuster for the Dead Letter Office. I'm here to determine if Conway disappeared on the job and to judge if the DLO is required to make an insurance payout to his next of kin. The Dead Letter Office of Somewhere, Ohio is a mystery horror fiction podcast set within one of the last remaining Dead Letter offices in the country. Join the office as they archive strange, spooky, surreal pieces of lost mail. It starts as an anthology but has an overall continuing storyline. Listen on the website at somewhereohio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey out there, Poddlers! I am Jason, the creative director here at Even Footing Games, and you are the lucky folks who have decided to join us for another episode of Even Footing Games Presents. My guest tonight is Rat Grimes, the creator of the weirdly surreal fever dream of a podcast that is the Dead Letter Office of Somewhere, Ohio. Rat is a former video essayist, a published poet, and a public servant. They write loud music, weird fiction, and are, like most of us, in debt and likely to die somewhere in the Midwest. In Rat's case, Ohio. Coming from Pennsylvania, I feel that last one on a spiritual <laughs> level. Yeah, uh, Rat, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Oh yeah, no problem. Glad to be here. And we are glad to have you. So, the folks that I've been talking to in this little mini-series that we've been doing are creators of weird fiction, weird podcast, and... The Dead Letter Office is weird at its heart, with a capital W, in the best way. I found the podcast during the pandemic. I went through a an existential period of dread, like everybody. Uh, sure. And I also happened to be furloughed. So I had a lot <laughs> of time to, uh, to really experiment and, and listen to a lot of things that I may not have come across. And the Dead Letter Office is one of them. I don't even know how to start explaining what... Just give us a, a quick rundown of, of what Dead Letter is, and then we'll go into it from deeper from there because it's such it's it's like nine different podcasts all woven together in such a delightful way. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so it starts. It's a horror fiction podcast. There's also bits of comedy, a little bit of sci-fi, and all sorts of stuff in there. But essentially, it starts as an anthology series where there's like a frame story of a guy reading letters that are stuck in the dead letter office of somewhere, Ohio. And it develops a sort of meta story like a lot of these mm -hmm. anthologies do when you kind of realize, well, there could be more tying into this and not just the little stories within. So then it branches out and becomes a story about unionizing and gender. So there's a lot going on there. And that's uh, that really what it is. I think when I when I first found it, you know, the, I think the series was was still ongoing at some point. So our our main character when we start for the first ten episodes or so is a fellow named Con, uh, Conway, right. who is starts out in the dead letter office. And just for those folks who don't know, what is the dead letter office at the post office? Do you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So a lot of mail, either because the 
recipient isn't marked correctly or, you know, who knows, maybe there's a tear. Some mail can't be delivered for various reasons. And so it gets sent to an office where in usual real life, they sort through it and, you know, keep a lot of it around. But, you know, who knows what happens to the rest of it. But basically undeliverable mail goes to a special place. So it's not sitting around in the post office. And it's the idea of dead letter office is just one of those weirdly ephemeral bits of reality that most people just don't know about. We don't even think about it. I think the first time that I came across the premise was, it was a Clive Barker book, I think. Maybe the, oh, sure. the Great and Secret show. I think one of the characters was in it, worked in a dead letter office and kind of found his way into the weirdness of the world through through much the same. Just reading the letters and, and realizing <laughs> there, was, there was more going on underneath the surface. Right. So we start out with Conway for the first half of the series reading these letters and he starts to have probably the most existential crisis that you, <laughs> that you could have. And I don't want to spoil anything, right. but but he very much comes to realizations about the world around him. And then midway through, we're introduced to Ren, who sort of takes mm-hmm. over the, the plot for the rest of the, the series. Conway is very kind of almost noir detective very he's very mm-hmm. dry very droll very midwestern he's got a he's got a twang he feels much like a kind of a truck driver you know he's got right. that sort of blue collar feel to him mm-hmm. um where ren is queer and transgender mm-hmm. and very sure of themselves and yet not sure of themselves <laughs> sure where they who they are but not necessarily mm-hmm. where they are in the greater scheme work. so how did you how did you go from 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 a protagonist who's so who starts off so sure of his place in the world and, and then pick up midway through with one who's kind of <laughs> figuring things out as they go, you know, literally. Right. Interesting question, because originally the thought was kind of, you know, there are so many stories like this that have a frame like the Twilight Zone, you know, mm-hmm. for example, it's it's got this Rod Serling figure who's very straightforward and tells you the moral <laughs> at the end. And so I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting character, especially if you put them in a real kind of typically boring job, like mm-hmm. a desk job. So of course, Conway is going to be kind of unflappable because he's a government worker. He's seen it all. Right, <laughs> so right, right. he's he's kind of there. But he has his own space a bit. And well, he does at first before everything goes weird. But mm-hmm. then, so I figured if Conway isn't going to be there, we need a character who can drive action a lot more than he does. Mm, um, yeah. For yeah. him, a lot of it is the stories that move things forward. And so I figured if we're going to have a main narrative, we need someone who's going to actually go do things. And so not only do we have just like, a character who will, you know, drive action, but it was around the end of like, it, like six, seven, eight episode when I kind of really got what I was going to do because okay. from the start, yeah, from the start, I was like, oh, this could be a fun little anthology thing. And then as I went, I kind of realized like, I think there's more going on with Conway that he hasn't really figured it out for himself mm-hmm. yet. And so we have a queer protagonist who, can kind of push on that and kind of lead to where these realizations could come from. So the the plan then was not to, to kind of go from this anthology to this, this more meta driven narrative, or did you sort of figure that out as you went along? Yeah. yeah I wish I could say I was like some genius strategist who like started <laughs> out with this, but right, right. no, I, I was just like, 
yeah, I could do that. Let's start it. And then as I was going, it's my writing process is a lot like that in general. Like what I'm currently writing on now, I had an episode, um, like idea, started writing it. And halfway through, I realized, no, the ending is going to be totally different. Like mm-hmm. the the way it's going right now is, is going to just swerve. And that's kind of what happened. Um, and I think one of the big instigators of this was after episode four came out which has it's kind of like the first bigger story it's got like several letters several characters someone asked if we'd be hearing that voice on the radio again and i was like yes (laughs) yes we will (laughs) my plan all along yes yeah it was like that's a good idea and so kind of taking ideas from people who've listened and from you know myself and other media and being like yeah i think that would work so we talked just just really briefly before we started recording about uh, a mutual love for tabletop gaming oh yeah both kind of fall into that forever dm Mm -hmm. status when you're plotting a campaign what's what's the difference or the similarities between you know writing your 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 other writing your your podcasts or your weird fiction and and Mm -hmm. prepping for your your players for the table Sure. There's a lot more overlap than I would have expected. Part of the reason I started this as an audio thing, I've had audio recording equipment for a decade or so from college when I used student loans to buy a cheap microphone for music. Yeah. And so then I had done that and I had done a lot of playing of Dungeons and Dragons, a couple other role-playing games. And I thought like, I can do goofy voices. I can, I can do some, <laughs> some like, character work very light because i have no acting experience outside of a couple of like in college we shot like five minute short horror films and whatever but they count yeah yeah, so like very little official acting experience and even unofficial so but i i kind of thought of it like what if these are like characters i'm i'm playing in a game like an npc and i was wondering so when i'm playing planning a DD game now i take a lot more thought into setting up the scenarios and making sure there are hooks that i mean you know i always will have a hook or something but <laughs> something that specific characters will really want to bite into and that kind of also goes back into writing where i have like planning campaigns has like steps and like possible plots but you're never really fully sure where these things are going to go because right. you know the players could be like actually we're going to go sabotage the king and you're like uh, uh, oh 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 okay. oh you are oh, okay <laughs> yeah so being able to like think on your feet and letting characters kind of figure things out is basically what happened by the end is i was just like okay just imagine i'm ren what am i doing and it's yeah. like well probably some weird stuff <laughs> so yeah, it's it, there's a lot of tie-in and a lot of back and forth between the two, but the writing for the show has a lot more. It's a lot harder, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know. There's because I have to be both player and DM essentially, right? right? Yeah, so. yeah. You do all the voice. Well, I mean, you do all the most of the voices yourself, the main voices, right? Yeah, yeah. All of right. the I do Conway, Ren, all of the letters, and then there are a couple characters like the director who shows up really briefly, really briefly. Um, Liz, who was a shadow person mm-hmm. kind of thing that was had a mini story, and another person there were also guest voice. And then at the end, the very last character, Lucy, is as well. But yeah, all the rest are are me doing my best. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I kudos to you because I didn't realize until I started looking into it that that Conway and Ren, that you're doing both Conway and Ren. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. The 
there's such a dissimilarity, not just in, in their physical voice, but also mm-hmm. how you write them, you know, their, their, their written voice, which is impressive that you were, that you're able to, to write two such distinctive voices. Sure. Um, and the times when the, the few times when they interact with each other, you know, mm-hmm. those, those must have been a little uh, schizophrenic for you, I would imagine. It's, yeah. it's strange, you know. I'm, I'm like, I record all of them for one character and then all of them for the other. So like, I'm just reading out like line and then a reaction to a line that isn't there, but is also <laughs> me. And I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking like, well, how am I going to voice that reaction line that I haven't done yet? <laughs> so, okay, so so you're not listening to yourself. Play, no, you know, reading no. one and as you say the other. Okay, Mm-mm. all right. Not usually. Yeah, it's, it's it's it fits pretty seamlessly. So I mean, I guess it helps that you've got them in your head. But yeah, mm-hmm. how did we get to this point, Rat? You, you mentioned you know music in college, and mm-hmm. you, you know you, you write loud music. So what was our what was your journey from from kind of where you were to to creating this stream of consciousness fever dream of a <laughs> podcast? <laughs> sure, I used to be in several metal bands, progressive metal. Nice. So nice. we were like, you know, playing 16 minute long songs with mm-hmm. you know, like all this stuff. And so I had a couple of, I had experience doing that and being on stage a bit and like not really, I didn't, I was never really like terrified of it. It was a little anxiety inducing at first, mm-hmm. but once you're out there, it's like incredible. So then I started doing some more like acoustic stuff. And when I was in college and didn't have a place in a basement where I could blast music. And then I had always been writing a bit in my spare time, whether, you know, whatever it is at the time, whether I'm running a game or just writing my own stuff on the side. But, you know, it's so hard to get things actually like published, especially if it's not a novel. Like if Mm -hmm. you just have like a hundred page novella or something, it's easier now. But, you know, in like 2015, 2014, it was a, a lot harder even. Um, so a lot of that I kept to myself or just like showed some friends. And then sure. what actually started this specific podcast was I don't really listen to all that many fiction podcasts, mm-hmm. um, or at least I didn't at the time. And someone had been talking up the Magnus archives and I was like, I don't know what that is, but it's horror. So, I mean, like I'll, probably like it it's um, been brought up a few times that that's yeah. a, a, a big yeah a big influence but on a lot of folks so. i gotta tell you i've only listened to one episode <laughs> <laughs> i uh it's really great i listened to the first episode and i was like this is so cool i want to do this mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. this is what i want to do so i'm not going to listen to all of their stuff and like you know unconsciously start stealing what they've right. done i probably already have yeah. just because it's such a big encompassing show but you know <laughs> It kind of spread its tendrils out. Yeah. 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 Bit. But it, it was just so cool. I was like, you know, I have these horror stories. I could do that. So the first few episodes are basically converted old short stories I had okay. with a frame narrative put in. And then after those ran out is when I had to start writing more like, you know, more <laughs> fully new original stuff. And that's when mm-hmm. the pace of the podcast got a little slower. <laughs> well, the, the, pace didn't get slower i think it just it just morphed into something different like it, sure it, it still moves along there is a i think there's a sense of urgency to the last half of the show you mm-hmm. know um not just in in the i'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you folks right now there's gonna be spoilers i've been trying not sure, to spoil but i want to spoil <laughs> i want to spoil things yeah spoilers no, the, from the, here <laughs> yeah spoilers from here out if you if you haven't listened to dead letter uh dead letters 
20-ish episodes. They're all about half an hour, 45 minutes. Just go listen yeah. to the, it's good, come back, and then we'll go from there. With Conway realizing that he's not real mm-hmm. uh, in, in, the, in the sense of, of the, the, the universe, right. it gives him a chance or he takes the opportunity to remake himself in the, in the, in the form of the people he thought were oppressing him all along the boss, right. you know? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that idea resonated with me in the sense that if you, if you come to question your reality, your place in the world, you know, there are two paths you can go. Do, do you try to craft something new for yourself or do you mm-hmm. grasp onto what is the most, solid thing that you know and in conway's mm-hmm. case this was the bosses so what what was that decision i mean i guess what was the impetus behind that direction how did you come to this under you know to the to the, the thinking that okay he doesn't he's not real he realizes that now what does mm-hmm. he do now yeah sure i mean you know it it comes from bad jobs basically where it's like you feel powerless you're poor yeah. your yeah. time is sucked out and you know, you don't feel real sometimes mm-hmm. like come home at midnight after a long shift. And it's like, am I a person <laughs> um, anymore? Or am I just like a literal stand in? And one way to get around that, it's a bad way. I don't recommend it is to try to get more power in that mm-hmm. situation by, you know, through managerial means and not through worker power. Like, you know, take take the manager job, get you know, move on up and then do the same to the people below you so that you have more time or whatever. So you don't have to do the work. So, you know, he, he felt like his life was yeah, obviously like nothing. And so, you know, like you said, he could either take an unsure, but radically different direction, or he could do what everyone expects of him, especially as like this kind of twangy, like more masculine figure. And that's to take over ownership and kind of play out what's expected of him. That's what he decided at first, because there was no one else there really to stop him. Mm-hmm. It's really, I mean, that's like the episode 10 when, when Ren is introduced is really mm-hmm. when things just take like it goes <laughs> off into a different direction altogether. And it's, it's, you know, you take a new protagonist and you take a new turn and it makes sense. And man, I was, I was so angry, honestly, at Conway for becoming the boss, but I was re-listening to some of the, the past episodes today, just to kind of refresh it in my memory. And yeah, you know, just talking to you, right. He, he is, he is passive for those first, mm-hmm. you know, four or five episodes, you know, because he's just reading the letters, he's not acting on them. Mm-hmm. It's just like this is weird, and well, yeah. I guess I'll go have a have a beer now. You know, yep. And even when things start to happen, strange to Conor, like he finds his dead friend's body holding a phone, <laughs> and he's yeah. like, "All right, well, this is what we do now." You know, there's no yeah. there's no sense of of I want to take agency until mm-hmm. he's given the decision to come and to to become the boss. Now, mm-hmm. Ren, on the other hand, like I said, is so sure of themselves but not necessarily mm-hmm. their place in the world takes all of this weirdness as commonplace you know there's mm-hmm. there's no oh i don't know what to do it's like this is just how things are and there's a line that they say towards the end of the season it might be the last episode too too queer to be weird too weird to be queer or something <laughs> yeah. like that yeah that felt like it resonated to some extent tell me tell me mm-hmm. about that line like what, what what did that line mean to you when you wrote sure. it when you said um it? Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, in a lot of ways, Conway, this obviously isn't how it started, but by the end, I came to kind of think of Conway as expectations on people born, you know, like me, like assigned male at birth. There's really no (laughs) better way to say it at this point. But, you know, like if you look like a guy, you are expected to be doing these things and acting these ways. And, you know, that's not necessarily a new point. But then so that is kind of, you know, I guess you could think of it as like, Conway turning boss is like this super ego kind of figure. And like then with Ren, I put in like a different side of myself that I've experienced, Mm -hmm. one that's Mm -hmm. a lot more true to me personally. And like, you know, growing up as a weird little kid who like painted their nails and like got made fun of for it. And like, you know, (laughs) but also was into like Edgar Allan Poe and all these weird things. So like, you know, I didn't really fit in especially like later in like high school when i had really long hair and was playing super heavy metal like a lot of the other like queer kids at high school and stuff were not like that and i didn't think i was either i was like nah nah uh, i'm cis sure so like you know there's this feeling of a lot of weird fiction horror groups a lot of them can kind of be even if they're not trying to can be a little uncomfortable for certain people even if it's a queer group there can just be different groups and you don't always fit in and especially like for me i don't really fit into most of them partly because that's just like who i am but then you know you also get into queer groups and it's like you can find the right ones but there can also be a lot of like just like with any other, when you get people together, just like any mm-hmm. other group, there's going to be a lot of different interests and personalities. And yeah. it's like, if I want to talk about like weird horror fiction in groups, you know, you <laughs> kind of have to really seek out that yeah. kind of group and just generally not feeling like you really fit into any kind of established community and trying to just either make it on your own or make your own, which is kind of what Ren starts to mm-hmm. do at the very end, tries yeah. to start reaching out and like, saying like hey i would like to meet others like me finally i think we can do it can we do this <laughs> yeah he and he and lucy who big massive spoiler turns out to be i guess conway's original self <laughs> i mean it gets a little hazy but yeah yeah uh at least at least for me like i'm like mm, i think this is what i'm figuring out but but yeah. um they reach out to, to her mm-hmm. towards the end and 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 there is a before you know the the horribly ending <laughs> occurs, but there is something yeah. that feels okay. There's a connection that's happening mm-hmm. there. Do you yeah. think that you could have written Ren, who's so self assured when you were younger, before you kind of became a little more self actualized? Certainly not like that. <laughs> it would have been a lot more assured in self hatred, maybe, or assured mm-hmm. in like cynicism at others, but certainly not in what you know, what you're good at and what you belong in, which I think is what Ren's big thing is they know where they belong, uh, at least in terms of the weirdness, like Mm -hmm. this weird stuff, that is what Ren does. (laughs) So like, it it may not be, no one else may get it, but Ren does. So they kind of focus in on that. I think that's interesting because it's too, you know, it is, there's there's a subplot that, that kind of comes in towards the last third of the season or so where, the shadow people who are, mm-hmm. I mean, you could very much see them as, you know, the worker drones. I think they call, you call them drones, you know, right. or cogs at some, you know, yeah. some, some 
it's it's a very anti late stage capitalist podcast, which I really yeah. enjoy. Yeah, um, <laughs> but they rise up. You know, they they, mm-hmm. they they have a revolution, a fiery revolution, and burn down the office. Basically, they they burn right. down the Conway's post office. Mm. And I think <laughs> that the the self assuredness that Ren knows, like this is my place, this is what I'm good at, is such a juxtaposition to Conway's not feeling that way mm-hmm. in your career. If we're looking mm-hmm. at it from a, from a capitalist satire, which to some extent it is, right. there is a nobility. Even if, if society sees you as weird, there is something good about knowing what you are good at and right. being proud of what you are good at. As opposed to Conway, who might be good at reading letters, mm-hmm. uh, but he takes no pride in it. He takes no, no joy in it, you know, or at least it doesn't right. seem to be right. right. Um, I've been I've been re re listening with it with a with a new kind of set of ears, mm-hmm. and I think I think it is a show that deserves a, a second lesson because again it's you can get through it in a weekend you know yeah and because the second season Ren is very stream of consciousness I don't know how mm-hmm. much that mm-hmm. was and and the things that they see and the things that they experience are so flickers and flashes of memories and and it's I missed you know you miss so much they remain a focal point to themselves amidst mm-hmm. all the madness. Is that where you feel you are right now? Do you feel like you've been centered in yourself enough to, to sort of combat capitalism and <laughs> madness and all, and all the existentialism, you know, that, that you may come across? Short answer. No, but, um, okay. I, you know, I'm doing my best like everyone. Right. right? Um, it certainly helps like having, I didn't have a ton of time off work, but I did have time at home to really like think and not have to perform for anyone. Like, you know, if I'm at home, I don't have to perform my like job face, my at the mm-hmm. store face, you know, all of these personas we have to put on and you can just like kind of figure out what you want to be without any of that pressure. And that is sort of when I came to realize that like, Hey, I'm probably non-binary. <laughs> like this has probably been a long time coming. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of the focal point of this big turn is that you have Ren pulling Conway towards this realization that he does not want to see that like this person he lost is him <laughs> or mm-hmm. her in this case. Yeah, yeah. Um, someone on, I think it was Twitter or Tumblr had, made a little comment about my show that I think was really insightful, but it was like, why is no one listening to this podcast about the postal service unionizing and a non-binary weirdo, like helping a trans woman realize what she always was or something Mm -hmm. like that, Mm -hmm. where it's like, yeah, when you have that self-assuredness and you know who you are, you at least have something to hold on to when everything else is like possibly gone in a second. That's great. I mean, it, it really is. It's an impactful message. It really is. And I think that's what I, I've spoken with a, with a few podcasters who are in the queer community who are, who are transgender and, and the podcast sphere for them has really been a way for them to sort of explore who they are on a, on a more deeper level, because there's that level of separation. Like I'm creating a story. This is fiction, but right. You know, any story that you write will have an element of yourself in it. There's just there's just no way around it. Mm-hmm. And I think weird fiction more often than not is probably even more autobiographical than just 
just straight fiction. So, mm-hmm. so what has your experience been now that the podcast is out? Now that people kind of realize, you know, you you had the listener on, on Tumblr who summed it up so nicely. Yeah, what has the feedback been like? You 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 put this this very queer positive, this very transgender positive thing out into the world. What have you heard back from folks? What, what's it's been getting positive comments is always great. And like, there is, there was like, much like yourself, there were a lot of people like, what the hell Conway, what are you doing? <laughs> like when that, yeah, I really was like, come on, um, man. And that, that was like the best feeling in the world. It was like, <laughs> yep, you got it. You all understand what's going on. You know yeah, why, yeah. yep. It's the perfectly correct mm-hmm. emotion to have. And then once it starts getting into this more explicitly queer content, you know, it hasn't been brought up a lot explicitly in feedback and stuff in that I've gotten anyway. But, you know, I look at all the people listening and it's like, well, they're, it's because they're, a lot of them are queer. So there's like, you know, they don't really bring it up as much because they're just like, oh, yep, I relate. Cool podcast. It's their lived experience. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's gotten like, I think I just recently checked. It's like 115,000 downloads total. And it's like, I thought I'd get like, 500 like hey, you know <laughs> for doing it all yourself i mean for that's that's impressive mm-hmm. you, know? you had some sound equipment i'm going to be honest all over the place that's just how mm-hmm. you had some yep. sound experience you had making music mm-hmm. how did that translate to 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 doing the podcast was it a different experience to find to, to put together an auto drama than it was to make some 20 minute heavy metal <laughs> oh yeah way different the like the biggest difference is like well, in both, you kind of have like a, a dramatic rise and fall. You you know, you need parts, you need like things leading into other things, you need builds, you need themes, all of these things. So like, I kind of understood that, but just how much revision is done compared to like music, I would often mm-hmm. be like, I would hit on something and I'd be like, that's it. This is the riff. This is it. We're doing it. And in this, I'm like, uh, I think I spend way more time revising than I do writing, just going back over and over and over and polishing and polishing. And that the editing of it was a, a lot of where I had experience from that was trying to do video essays on YouTube mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and, and video editing was just so draining that I quit yeah. very, very early. But I did, I was able to carry over not only like editing music where like fades and cuts mm-hmm. and EQ and all of that, but then like, you know, layering dialogue with music, like having important cuts and transitions, you know, so kind of those two spheres together helped me do it. And yeah, I just kind of like years ago taught myself how to use Reaper. That's the uh, digital audio workshop I use because they had a free trial that I used for 10 years and then finally, finally bought a copy. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. You you talked about sort of crafting how the how the, the rise and flow and the ebb, the mm-hmm. ebb of, of of excitement and, and understanding how like a like a twenty minute prog heavy metal mm-hmm. song things rise and fall and rise and fall. So did it, especially those last few episodes? Did it feel like music when you were writing it? Because it really is. There's a lyrical quality to how Red mm-hmm. speaks in the first place, but when I say fever dream, I mean fever dream. It really <laughs> yeah. is. It's very stream of consciousness so so were you thinking in musical terms because when i write and i'm a musician as well i Mm -hmm. will my dialogue kind of goes like i'm singing it you know it's very Mm -hmm. musicality it's the same Mm -hmm. thing it's it's there's a a rhythm so 
was there that feeling when when you're really getting into the flow of things that you're making music in a sense yeah yeah the best part of it i think is like i score it all myself too so like you so know you're when i'm all the the instrumentals and the interstitials and stuff yeah cool, cool. so like when i'm writing i can almost sometimes hear the music i'm gonna put to it and then like nice, i'm like nice. or i'm like i write something and i'm like ooh, i think i know like a good like paragraph that could go with this thing that i this music that i i wrote for it and so like yeah when i'm when i'm writing some of these things i'm either like listening to what i've written or i i kind of have it in my head and fit them together so like you know i can have like oh i want this like really nasty bend on the guitar to like match up with this this word you know the sentence or whatever so there there especially with ren there is a lot of a lot of that they have like when I was in college, my major focus, I was an English major, Mm -hmm. um, but I really focused on uh, early modern American lit and Dada, the Dada movement. Sure, sure. absolutely. Yes. That is a lot of like influenced everything from then Mm -hmm. on that I do basically. (laughs) Um, You know, it's one of those things when you find it, it's like completely revelatory even if everyone else has already seen it and they're like yeah yeah we know but it's like when you find it you're like (laughs) whoa so yeah having a lot of this like surrealist kind of stream of consciousness stuff not only does have like that that feel but also it definitely is in musical in a way to me with with, especially with my soundtracks coming with it it's it's it was interesting like the episode four it's where I first like started putting big musical pieces into mm-hmm. it and covering things I maybe don't have as much of a right to as I should, <laughs> like in terms of <laughs> distribution. Like I've got cover license, like I think it's like a mechanical license, but I don't think that fully covers a podcast. But right, right. it's also weird that like if they want to come at me, I'll take it down. I was gonna say uh, a cease and desist letter is is a is a pride, you know. You frame that anyway, yeah. Yeah, it means like it means someone saw it. Um, <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that that episode four is when I was really putting the music and the words together, and kind of they kind of flow back and forth. So for sure, Very cool. Yeah, I, the second you said Dadaism, I was like, yes, that's exactly like there. There's there's that surrealism in the very capital S sense of the word. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, there's 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 uh Eugene Inesco is in there and 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 Renee Marguerite like you can mm-hmm. you can hear that weirdness like that's so good yeah yeah a lot I, of them were like violently anti-capitalist a lot yes, of them yes, yes, yeah. and so it's like you can kind of see the illogic of capital mm-hmm. breaking apart <laughs> and now we get to see it in real time right yeah did you ever read Grant Morrison's run on Doom Patrol it has the... been um like on my list for a long okay. time get to it but yeah. but uh, i don't even know if they if i would consider them bad guys but they they fight like a, a dada surrealist brotherhood you know they're <laughs> they're super dada superheroes basically and, sure. it, and um and it's that stream of consciousness writing that that really it it says so much and doesn't say a damn thing on the surface <laughs> you know yeah. right mm-hmm. it's a good... tell me about the influence david bowie had on the show sure there there was something about when i was coming to the end you know i wasn't thinking about it terribly much throughout as i'm writing as you know these subconscious things just kind Mm -hmm. of come through but by the end when i was writing this i kind of had this like 
the the feeling that the characters have at the end, this pit in your stomach that's like, this is not correct. This is there. Something is wrong and I can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are some songs that feel kind of like that. And Life on Mars for me is one, even though it's very kind of upbeat sounding, it, it's there's just like this something to it that makes me almost... I don't know. It's it's strange. I have a lot of strange feeling towards certain things. And it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it makes me feel like lost in a way. Yeah. And I love the song. <laughs> but there are a couple of other references in the end, I think, too. But I can't remember the, the other song at the moment. But uh, Oh, You Pretty Things. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. The the strangers came today. It looks mm-hmm. as they're here to stay. Yep, yep, it, yep. They're just such evocative lines. And he's always been, you know, like, Black Star especially was something oh. that really hit me. Um, Holy moly. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, thinking about this ending, I was definitely thinking a lot about Black Star. Hmm. It, it just like coming to the end and realizing you're at the end. I'm still here, but the characters are not. And, you know, so like these characters are kind of inhabiting this feeling. And yeah. And then reflecting back, you know, I decided to directly include those things because at the very end, it's kind I don't know how much up to interpretation it is, but, you know, kind of in my mind, these characters have had the rug pulled out from under them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just like kind of like Conway did. Right. Um, and they realize that all of all the things that have been happening are audio. It's just mm-hmm. sound. They don't right. exist beyond it. Right. And that's that feeling of, you know, it's like watching your life on a theater screen it's just so surreal and disorienting and you know that just those songs especially gave me a really strong feeling of like dissociation that would kind of fit perfectly with that ending so yeah at first didn't really think much about bowie in terms of it and then by the end i was just kind of reflecting back on the whole thing and mm-hmm. how much music went into it and yeah so what do you think ren would do then no, now that they know that they're not real either, you know, what, mm-hmm. what would, what would their next step be? You know, that's an interesting question that may be addressed in the future. <laughs> oh, oh, we're working on something. Okay. Is there, is there a, is there a follow-up season or a, um, another show coming up? What are you working on? Um, right I am currently working on something else. Okay. Kind of new show. It is not a direct like sequel to anything, mm-hmm. but um I'm writing some episodes for something okay. <laughs> that will be revealed soon. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, are you are you doing the solo again or have you roped some more people in to help you out? Or is this um, I'm doing all the writing and music and probably the editing, but there will be a cast this time because I would okay. like to not voice act so much. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, Rat, last question. What are we mm-hmm. what are we excited about right now? What are what are we reading? What are we watching? What are we getting into that's really firing? those cylinders there i just bought authority the sequel to annihilation okay oh vandermeer uh, Vandermeer. yeah yeah yeah. i've not read authority but i loved annihilation and i'm like the first few pages of authority i was like i gotta stop reading till i'm done writing or else once again i'm gonna just take this stuff (laughs) yeah so there's that i recently just finished young justice the uh newest season because i watched it when it came out and was waiting for 10 years for i know right right Um, right. but yeah there's a a lot of just recently because it was taken off of hbo max re-downloaded uh okay ko let's be heroes and uh infinity train and those are both 
great. And recently watched Memoria. That was an interesting movie. If you want a fever dream, okay, stream of consciousness, Memoria was very good. Memoria, okay, I'll have to check yeah, that one out. it was yeah. supposedly only in theaters. It was doing like a like tour thing where they said it would never be streaming, and it was on Mubi for a while. And like, you can find it if you don't mind some uh, shadier resources. Right, yeah, right, right. It can be found if you don't mind um, peeling an onion. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it yeah, can. Yeah. It can yeah. be found. So. Gotcha. That, that's Memorial a, a to check yeah, that out. Tilda Swinton just kind of like dream walking through two hours of <laughs> movie. <laughs> so I love I love Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Anything she's in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So strange. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Rat, do you got anything you want to plug? Uh, we've got a new project that's coming out soon. Do we have a release date or is it still kind of oh, up no. in the air? <laughs> okay. I, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I've got like four episodes written and I'm trying to get a whole season written this time before I start production because then I'm not like rushing Bird myself straight, every yeah. week. Yeah, but it will be coming out. There will be some more information soon. It will be sci-fi horror heavy, a lot more leaning on sci-fi this time there'll be a cast it's once again in ohio because that's that's where it happens so Ugh, but, uh, it, it feels like the middle of the i had family who lived in ashavula and and mm-hmm. even as a kid every time we went it was just like this is there's something that ends here <laughs> yes yeah it feels, it's true it feels like a slow ending in ohio yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so where can people find you then where where, uh, where can they get more information about what's coming up Sure. They can go to somewhereohio.com and listen to the show there. You can follow Somewhere Ohio on Twitter at Somewhere Ohio. There's an Instagram I just made that hasn't posted much, but there will be more in the future. And there's a Patreon, also Somewhere Ohio, that will be up and running again here soon. And that will help pay for guest actors and uh, artwork and stuff. So awesome. Yeah all of that go listen and there's a a bunch of other great shows especially like the people that guested on my show go listen to their shows too there's too many to count but there's the audio drama community is incredibly supportive it's unreal so (laughs) absolutely absolutely we will have links to all of rats social media stuff available for you folks at home you can just click the link and there you go rat thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me i really I, honestly, I enjoyed the hell out of, of the Dead Letter Office. Like, it's such a, a trippy, fun, weird show. And anytime a, a group of shadow people takes down the man, I'm all right with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank so, you for having me. Thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure. Thank you out there, folks, toddlers. This has been Jason, Even Putting Games Presents. All of our social media stuff is also. Uh, on the website so check that out and we will catch you next time whenever I get around to it bye bye